0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode is number 198. Can you believe that? It's titled Capitalism is Creation. UBI is bookkeeping. UBI stands for Universal Basic Income. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Chad's a member of Money for the Restless Plus, listener to the show. He's a millennial. And he sent me an article that one of his friends is quoted in. It's an article that was in Salon Magazine online. It was by Keith A. Spencer. Here's the title some millennials aren't saving for retirement because they don't think capitalism will exist by then. Had some astounding quotes. He starts off the article, CNN reported last week that 66% of millennials aged 21 to 32 have nothing saved for retirement. And while the writer of the article suggests it was student loans, stagnant wages, High unemployment, Spencer suggests there may be a deeper cause. Many millennials don't see a future for our economic system. They think capitalism is going to collapse. Here was a tweet by Hollywood. Cool name, Hollywood. That is her name. 32. Retweet if socialism is your retirement plan. She was retweeting retweeting the article. Here's a quote by John Good. He's 34. He's a chocolatier and a small business owner. That's what makes this quote sort of amazing. He, sa- he writes or says in the article, capitalism might still exist in 2050, but I don't expect people will be happy about it. If capitalism is replaced by then, my ideal economic model is one where all basic necessities are abundant and free. Everyone works a few hours a week at the necessary chores of society like garbage collection and machine maintenance, then has the rest of their lives free to pursue whatever projects, be they art, leisure, or industry, that they desire. We've actually covered that theme on the show, what if we have to work only four hours a week? What would we do? Here's Becca Cook. She's thirty. She says, "I think a system with universal basic income is inevitable if we're going to survive the automation of jobs as a society." Here's Hollywood. I'm absolutely convinced over how quickly friends have lost their pensions for 401ks and IRAs to bubble crashes that there is no safe place to save for retirement. And the best way to plan for retirement is by building tribes of like-minded peers who have committed themselves to group survival. I'm way more invested in the family I'm building now than any fake sense of security that some mutual fund may or may not provide me 20 years from now fascinating quotes, and there's others. There's one by Elias Schwartzman. He talks about potential apocalypse. John Higginson, he's 35, when he hears these articles or these quotes, he says, I guess my argument to their points would be whether societal collapse happens or not, where does that change the personal responsibility for you to prepare yourself, to take care of yourself and be responsible for yourself. Now the first time I read that article I was sort of alarmed. And then as I've done more research on that, I I actually think that these millennials that were quoted they they might be ahead of the game in terms of where things might be headed. Those those were not necessarily quotes suggesting societal collapse. They were quotes about a change to capitalism so Chad wrote me up with the article, and, and he, he seemed somewhat shocked by, by some of the quotes, but he says, I also know that many of my peers have forgone traditional careers for alternative, flexible lifestyles. But how much of that has been due to necessity versus shifting personal priorities toward leisure? That's hard to say. Episode 168 was, is life more difficult for millennials? And it was really difficult to draw conclusions, to compare one age cohort to the similar age cohort in 1975. Sometimes you can sort of kind of compare, and it's hard to, to see if, if really millennials are worse or better off. They certainly are different because they're living in a different world. That's going to get dramatically more different. I also came across an article in Edge magazine this week. It was by Kai Fu Lee, or he was being interviewed, and it was titled We are here to create. Kai Fu Lee is a Beijing-based venture capitalist, but he has an extensive experience in artificial intelligence. He's worked for Apple, he's worked for Microsoft, he worked for Google. Here's what he writes. Today AI which we call weak AI, is an optimizer based on a lot of data in one domain that they learn to do one thing extremely well. It's a very vertical, single-task robot, if you will. But it does only one thing. You cannot teach it many things. You cannot teach it multi-domain. You cannot teach it to have common sense. You cannot give it emotions. It has no self-awareness and, therefore, no desire or even understanding Of how to love or dominate a human being All this dystopian talk is just nonsense It's too much imagination The robots are not going to take over the world They're single task focused And they're very good at it And they're going to get better at it over the next decade or two He goes on, suppose we build this smart paralegal system, this system that can write better than the reporters for short articles, or this loan officer replacement program, or the assembly line, or the receptionist, and so on. Well, what happens to the people who are in their jobs? In an abstract world, if we were to reconstruct the world from scratch, we'd be very happy human beings because we'd have machines to do these repetitive and routine tasks. We can then elevate ourselves to be thinking, inventing, creating, socializing, having fun, and getting hobbies. It would be an amazing life. His sentiments aren't that much different than the chocolatier, John Good, who said, if we would have these machines and then we could spend the rest of our lives free to pursue whatever projects, be they art, leisure, or industry, which is... The business industry that they desire. Kai-Fu Lee continue, continues, we are, we're all going to face a very challenging next 15 or 20 years. When half the jobs are going to be replaced by machines. Humans have never seen this scale of massive job decimation. And one of his interesting points is going to happen much more quickly than the Industrial Revolution which took place very slowly and allowed time for new replacement jobs to be created. We might not have it, it might happen much more quickly this time. But what's fascinating is he's not worried about how people are going to get paid. He says it's not just an issue of some people losing jobs and not getting a salary, that potentially could be taken care of with UBI, universal basic income, or some sort of income scheme. The issue is that people losing the jobs used to feel their reason for existence was work ethic, working hard, getting that house, and providing for the family. He's most worried about their cultural shift. We've been programmed to work, often in repetitive work. He goes on, repetitive work to the extent that you like to do photography or calligraphy, you can repeatedly do it and think every piece is a little bit different. You enjoy it. You're growing. You're getting calmness. You're growing as a person. That's all fine. But if you put someone in the back room of a restaurant where all you do is cut onions all day, or if you put someone in a factory factory where all you do is screw iPhones together. Or if you're a junior accountant and all you do is check for the numbers in the books. Those jobs are not giving you enrichment. They're not different. They're not interesting. And they're not advancing you as a human being. And I think that's what millennials are rebelling against. They don't want jobs like that. And fortunately, because of AI... Those jobs are going away. And that leads us to figure out what to do. But it's the cultural shift that we need to worry about. The, the the universal basic income, it's bookkeeping. If we if business is so efficient that we're able to create enough goods and services with very few workers, that's great. But if order for people to buy that stuff, they need income. And if we're able to actually create all that stuff with so little effort, we're not going to have constrained capacity, which means the money can be created to pay everyone that, that needs the income to be able to pursue these other creative activities. Now it's not going to be solved all at once. It's going to be a transition. But I started doing this episode worried about, well, how are the numbers going to work? And the more I got into it, I realized the numbers are going to work. They have to work because we can't have businesses creating stuff and individuals not having the income to buy the stuff. It'll be a transition. And, and I'm, we're not quite sure how it will work, but we'll figure it out. The more important thing is this idea that capitalism is going to collapse and be replaced by socialism. It's not going to happen. We don't want it to happen. I would fear if it happened. Look at what's going on in Venezuela right now. There, the government is absolutely has destroyed the economy. GDP has collapsed more than 50% since 2012. There was an article in the Wall Street Journal this past week titled Venezuela's Maduro Clinging to Power Uses Hunger as an Election Weapon. He's promising people food to survive if they vote for him. And they're voting for him because they're afraid their food stipend will be cut off. That's atrocious. That is socialism. Socialism, I saw in Cuba. The Cuban people are entrepreneurial. I was there in 2016. They all have their side gig because they need it to survive, but they're finding creativity in it. But they're limited as to what they can do because the government only allows certain businesses officially. You can rent out your home, you can start a restaurant, you can drive a taxi. Everything else is sort of hidden in terms of of what they do, but they want to do it because they find creativity in it. I saw that with Rafael, the taxi driver in Trinidad, Cuba. 65, drives a Fiat from the early 1960s. Original motor has been replaced with a Russian Lada engine. He pointed out the productivity difference between the private farms where the farmers and the workers had skin in the game and the government farms, where there wasn't the incentive to improve. Capitalism, business, allows us to be creative. And I saw that this week in a number of businesses that were created bottom-up. Socialism, communism is top-down. It doesn't work. Capitalism, creativity, it's bottom-up. It's starting small and growing. And let me pause for a moment and share some words from this week's sponsors, and then we'll circle back Let me show you some fascinating businesses I saw this week. If you've been using Mint to manage your finances, you know, they shut down several months ago. Well, let me tell you about the budgeting solution, the financial tracking solution I've been using for the past number of months. It's Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets like I've done. You can set goals, collaborate with your partner. And now you can get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com. david What I like about Monarch is the ability to customize what I want to see. I have custom budget categories, and then I can go on to the dashboard and see where I'm above trend on some of my spending. I especially like that Monarch will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying Monarch myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/david. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com/david for your extended 30-day free trial. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. The Pearl and I were in Florence, Alabama, and we took a class at Alabama Channon. This was a business started by Natalie Channon. She has a degree in textile. She grew up in Florence, Alabama. But a number of years ago, she was in New York. She had just returned, I believe, from Austria. She had very little money, got invited to a fancy sort of fashion event, didn't have anything to wear. And so she got a couple of T-shirts she had. And she cut them up and then she reconstructed them, hand stitching it. She went to the event. People were fascinated by this shirt and they were asking her, Where did you get that? She went back home the next day and started making more of these shirts, just trying it out, experimenting. And then she got the idea I'm gonna make 200 t shirts. Went around New York, tried to find people to make these things. They didn't, they didn't catch the vision. She went back to Florence, Alabama and found laid off textile workers that had the hand stitching skills to make these 200 shirts. She showed them in New York. Barney's bought them. Barney's New York. They sold out within weeks. She made some more and she started experimenting. And where is she today? From a humble t-shirt. She has a business, employs 35 full-time workers and 30 artisans as contractors. And they make clothes hand-stitching them. And that's what we're learning how to do, this little hand-stitching technique. Quite simple to do. These workers, these artisans bid on the opportunity to create specific projects. So they get the, the packets the kits to be able to make them, they add what they how long they think it'll take and what they want to make doing it, and they bid. And it's very unique work. They mentioned that these stitches, it's like handwriting, it's very unique to the worker. And it's an example of what Kai-Fu Lee calls repetitive work, that if we do it repeatedly, but it, we have our soul in it, every piece is a little different, you enjoy it. This is a zero-waste company. They have partnered with Patagonia to figure out what to do with Patagonia's recycled coats, and they make these scarves. The business has grown little by little. Now she has a store, a cafe, but it started with T-shirts, experimenting. We met another couple who started a business with T-shirts. This was in Homewood, just in near Birmingham, Alabama, Eric and Diana Hansen. She's an artist. He's a photographer. They had a home in a garden, and they started taking some of his imagery from his camera and crafting T-shirts. People liked them. They started selling them bit by bit, and now she has probably the most fascinating store I've seen this year. It's called White Flower, and you go inside, And everything is white. And there is vines all over the walls and ceiling, wisteria vines, all painted white. Absolutely fascinating. And their store is successful, but it grew little by little. They have their soul in the game. She mentioned Diana. Every Saturday night, she and her husband, after the store is closed, they paint the floor white. The walls are white, the vines that she painted were all white, and their floor is white. She says it's faster to just to repaint the floor than to mop it, but they do it like artisans. It's their work. They're creative, and they're finding satisfaction out of it, and they have a tribe. People go to that store, and they're completely transformed and uplifted. I asked her where she got the vines. She got them, she said, from a man named the Vine Man. It's Andrew McCall. He lives in Letohatchee, Alabama. And he and his wife, Etta, have a business that they started small. He said that he went into the service and made the mistake of coming out without a skill. He goes on, so when I got out, I was still where I was, pushing a wheelbarrow. Just didn't like it. I started back with public working, and I just couldn't take it no more. I quit. I told my wife, I'm not going back to that job no more. I got me a sack and started picking up cans that day, and I haven't looked back since. A friend showed him how to make a basket out of wild grape vines, and that's where he started. He says, I guess I've been building baskets 20-something years. I did a craft show, and I sold something, and then I knew. I sold my wreath at the craft show. I did good. We were a happy family that day. Andrew McCall has put two kids through college with his vine business, He was up on a ladder in Diana's store and she was directing him where to put the vines as they would wrap it around the pipes and put them or screw them to the wall. He says, I don't wake up in the morning hating to go to work. I tell any people when you get a job that you hate, your stomach starts trembling in the morning when you got to go to it. Throw it out, he says. Quit. My philosophy on my baskets, life is not all straight, symmetric, square, straights, and triangles. Life is bumps and ups and downs, and my basket reflects that. That's capitalism. Starting small, being creative. Now, occasionally, a business does very well. And then maybe it raises capital. It borrows money, and it issues stock. Most capitalism are private businesses. They start small. They're lifestyle businesses. But there is that aspect of capitalism that's bigger with bigger companies. Sometimes they get too big and then they run into some issues. Facebook, for example. I asked my son Brett about this. What if this idea of if capitalism falls apart, should he even save for retirement? He said it's not a gamble he's willing to take. Saving is a habit. He's recently married. got married last, last May. Saving $5 per paycheck. Has maybe $100 or $200 in his individual retirement account. It's a great time to be a small investor. I was with my other son who also has a couple hundred dollars in his IRA. He wanted to diversify. We were literally looking for an ETF on Schwab, which you can buy commission-free, for one that had a share price less than $34, so he could buy one share. That's how you learn investing, starting small. Brett called me up as we were driving through Alabama, and we spent a half hour, on his own initiative he wanted to know about Kmart, Eddie Lampert, and how it merged with Sears, how these mergers are financed. We talked about mezzanine debt, investing in private companies, why companies have subsidiaries. Those are questions that he had. Now they were they were tough questions. But he started small. But he's also extremely creative. And he'll probably have a business. He can't. He's a millennial. It's not going to be able to sit in a dead-end job, as many millennials aren't. But capitalism is not going to fall apart. It's going to transform. And it'll be molded into the way that the millennials want it to be. More sustainable, more creative. Perhaps there's some universal basic income if automation and AI gets to the point where we're losing jobs. We can figure out the bookkeeping issues. We have to learn and grow and handle the cultural issues. And we'll more than likely have to make some changes to the, the safety net for those that, that, that struggle from a, a career transition standpoint. An element is the term, what, compassionate capitalism? That's not socialism. Socialism is, in my mind, it's top down. Capitalism is bottom up with a layer of protection for those that that fall behind, to help out. We'll get it to work. That's episode 198. I didn't get into the details as I thought I would of of how universal basic income would work because we'll find a way for it to work. And we're going to talk about this again next week, how money is digits because the Federal Reserve, central banks are thinking about creating cryptocurrency digital coins. And again, we'll revisit that money can be created out of thin air. Money is bookkeeping. And the issue is the ability of the economy of businesses to create goods and services, our productive capacity. The more artificial intelligence and robotics that come along, the more we'll be able to do that with less resources, which will free up more time for all of us to be creative. Here's a final quote from Kai-Fu Lee. One very valid reason for existing is that we are here to create. What AI cannot do is perhaps a potential reason for why we exist. One such direction is that we create. We invent things. We celebrate creation. We're very creative about scientific process, about curing diseases, about writing books, writing movies, creative about telling stories, doing a brilliant job in marketing, This is our creativity that we should celebrate. And that perhaps what makes us human. Creativity is what capitalism is. We start with the idea. Then we create. We create a product. We gather a tribe. And often it evolves into a business and sometimes to a bigger business. we issue stock. Most of the time not. Most of the time, it stays small, but we can survive if we gather a tribe. You can get show notes at com. That's also where you can get, obviously, the links to what I've talked about today. And while you're there, sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email those links and show notes to you every single week the day the podcast is released, along with an essay That touches on that week's topic, sometimes other topics, but certainly the best writing I do each week. So that's at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation and not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money investing in the economy. Have a great week.